are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. You ever hear the phrase, um, well, in a perfect world? You, you know that phrase? Let's participation, maybe. Yeah, I know that phrase. How many of you use the phrase from time to time? Well, in a perfect world, um, it would work out like this. Or in a perfect world, that would never happen. So I found myself over these last couple of years, I don't know why, but I say it quite often in conversations with people, well, in a perfect world, it would, it would work out like this. So I'll give you an example. The Swazi 5K is coming up in just two weeks. And uh, you might say, is that a big deal? Well, it is a big deal because we raise money to support the AIDS task force in a small country called Eswatini in Africa. We also raise money to support Haven of Hope, which is a shelter for young girls who have been abused in that country. And we also give a portion of that money to the after-school program here in, in Bethany. And so normally we raise about $40,000, but there is a very generous family in our church who says we believe strongly in this stuff. And so after you raise 40000 we will match every dollar up to 30 more thousand. So that would get you to 100. Well, donors got excited about it. And, and, and uh, sponsors got excited, and they started really opening up their wallets and giving. And so now here's where we are. There's a place where you can register in the lobby. And if you register there, whatever dollar you pay to register will actually be doubled, okay? And so we're at a point now that if we get good registration, we will raise, I'm not kidding you, $100,000 in this event. And so you can do it. I love you clapping. You can do it. Um, virtually you can join us in person and the truth is we don't care if you just lay on your couch and eat potato chips um, we just want you to register for the deal and it's going to be it's going to be helpful so you say that's a kind of a big deal yeah it is takes a lot of volunteers yes it does um, is it a lot to coordinate yes it's a lot to coordinate but if everybody shows up does their job um, in a perfect world it all comes off without a hitch and usually it it does so in a perfect world. What does it mean? I, I found the definition. It's not great, but it's good. And the definition is, it's the best form of human society that one could imagine. So when we say, you know, in a perfect world, I think what we're talking about is maybe just the best form of human society that one could imagine. It would be where everybody and everything works together in perfect harmony. Everybody gets along. Everybody loves each other. Everybody's concerned about the other person. Everybody is giving and everybody is kind and everybody is gracious and everybody is good and everybody is serving everybody else. It's probably the best form of human society that one could imagine. It's where everything and everybody works together in just perfect harmony to create the best world possible, a perfect world. So, here's what I've come to realize. When I read or watch or listen to the news, I realize that I don't live in a perfect world. The world is not perfect. And so when I read about what's happening in Afghanistan today and the Taliban takeover, I kind of find myself sometimes muttering under my breath, this is not a perfect world. 
or when I read or listen to news about what's going on with COVID-19 and how it's affecting the world and how many people around the world are suffering or dying of this disease and what it's doing to us just divisively, I think to myself, yep, this is not a perfect world. Or when I think about a hurricane named Ida crossing onto the shores of Louisiana and making its way up through the eastern part of the United States all the way to the coast of New Jersey and New York. Great devastation in its path. Many people without electricity and power and taking the lives of many people. I kind of mutter under my breath, yeah, that's because we don't live in a perfect world. Or when I hear about violence in our cities and the way people are killing one another. I tend to mutter under my breath, yeah, this, this is not a perfect world that we live in. Or when I think about how divided we are and how much hate there is and how much tension there is in society, I think to myself, yeah, this is not a perfect world that we live in. In fact, I have a picture that might help you understand the condition of the world. And this is the picture. It speaks volumes to me. It tells me that the world is broken. Terribly broken. You've heard the phrase that a picture, you know, says a thousand words. This picture to me says a million words. It's a reminder to me of how broken the world that I live in really is. Because you see, in a perfect world, there would not be sickness. In a perfect world, there wouldn't be any cancer ever. In a perfect world, there wouldn't be any diseases. COVID-19 wouldn't exist in a perfect world, right? In, in a perfect world, there wouldn't be any wars. In fact, there wouldn't be any hate or any jealousy or any envy or any anger or any abuse. In a perfect world, there wouldn't be any addictions. Nobody would be addicted to anything in a perfect world. There wouldn't be any corruption. In a perfect world, there wouldn't be any poverty. There wouldn't be anybody that's poor. There wouldn't be anybody going to bed hungry at night. There wouldn't be anybody looking for food. In a perfect world, there wouldn't be any selfishness. In a perfect world, there wouldn't be any sin. Do you ever find yourself longing for a perfect world? So... I think that if anybody understood this, it would be the people who received the letter that was written to the Hebrews. And let me tell you their story briefly before we read from the text, okay? Uh, they're a group of Jewish people who came to know Jesus. So they're raised like Jesus, very much a Jew, with all of these Jewish customs and traditions. But they come to know Jesus, and they came to believe that Jesus could forgive them of all of their sins and make them right in their relationship with God. And give them hope for the future. However, like many recipients of letters in the New Testament, they are being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. In other words, they are being, some of them beaten, some of them are denied the ability to buy things they need to buy. Uh, some of them are actually losing their lives. And the heat is being turned up on the persecution against the Christians. And the goal is, let's just annihilate the Christian community, just like Hitler said with the Jews, let's just make sure no Christians are left alive. Let's get rid of them. And so many of them said, I can't do it. 
I, I, I can't live with this kind of pressure. I can't take this kind of pain and persecution. And so some of them are walking away from the faith. And so the letter is written to them saying, hey, do you understand who Jesus is? He is the exact representation of God's being. In Jesus, we find the very Word of God. In Jesus, we find hope for this new life, this new creation that we talk about. In Jesus, we find our eternal priest. We find the perfect sacrifice. And finally, when you get to chapter 11, he says, like all the other people who are great examples in the faith, who remain faithful and true, you've got to remain faithful and true to Jesus. Where else are you going to go? What else are you going to do? Yeah, the world is hard, and you're going through some tough stuff, and it's not a perfect world. But there is hope that there is a better world to come if you keep your faith in Jesus. And so, one of the verses that we love in the Bible comes from that chapter, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith, so live by faith. It's the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. And so he's saying to them, listen, I know that life is hard here on earth. I know it's not a perfect world. I know you're dealing with persecution. But what are you hoping for? A better world, right? Assurance of something that you don't yet see. So just remain faithful to God because there is a better world one day to come. And so with that in mind, let me take you to the middle of that chapter. What he does then is he just kind of gives you a list of these heroes of the faith. People who stayed faithful to God no matter what. Okay? And then there's an interlude and then he gives us more examples. And here's the interlude. Here's what he says. All these people were still living by faith when they died. And so he's talking about people like Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joseph and Jacob and on and on. They were all still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Did you remember that Moses didn't actually get into the promised land? You know, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Now, you got to dig in here with me, okay? If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. And so the question I have to ask you is, what does he mean when he says that they are looking for a better country, a heavenly one? And what does he mean when he says that God has prepared a city for them? And that's what I want us to, to think and talk about for a little while today, okay? You know, Annette and I, we have two daughters that I talk about often. Their names are Brittany and Morgan. And Brittany got married right after we moved to Oklahoma nine years ago. And, um, and so I remember we traveled back to Ohio to see her and her husband, Tim. And they were all excited and they were pumped up and they were ready to share some big news with us. And so they told us, we're expecting Brittany said, Daddy, I'm going to have a baby. 
you're going to be a grandpa. We were beside ourselves, to say the least. We, we couldn't believe this was actually happening in our lives. And so we were just all ready for this new little baby. So finally, when the time came, we traveled to Ohio. We wanted to be close by when, when our little granddaughter, Sadie, entered the world. And I remember really well being in the hospital room and, and looking into the face of that little baby and holding her in my arms. And, and uh, she just became the center of our lives. I mean, we, we are nuts about Sadie, I talked about her last week, and I'm talking about her again today. And you're going, really? But that's, that's the way it's going today, okay? I remember one day Brittany says, Dad, I, I don't know. Um, as Sadie is getting older, when, when I look at her, something's not right. Well, what do you mean? Well, I, she doesn't make eye contact with me. And so we would be there, and, and she would say, do, do, do you see if you see what I'm seeing? And so, you know, we're, we're looking at her, and we're looking into her eyes, and, and we're, yeah, something's not, something's not quite right. I don't know. And she keeps growing and getting a little older, and we're kind of going, yeah, something's not quite, yeah, I, I get it, Brid. I'm with you. Not, yeah, when you look at her, it doesn't, something's different, you know. And finally, as she gets a little older, we hurry her off to a doctor because we're convinced at this point it's not just us, but something's going on. And, and sure enough, Sadie would look at you with her left eye, and she would smile at you with her left eye, but her right eye was kind of looking over here. And so they begin to have consultation with doctors, and doctors begin to talk about options, and, and, and I begin to be concerned about Sadie, and Annette began to be concerned about Sadie, and Brittany and Tim were concerned about Sadie, and we began asking questions like, if they can't fix this that's happening with her eye, what does that mean to Sadie? What does it mean for her socially? To be honest with you, I'm almost embarrassed to have that conversation and the reason is because I think about people that Annette and I know who have been through so much more with their kids and their grandkids who have climbed much steeper mountains who have faced so much greater challenges than that but we were concerned and sure enough it was one procedure surgically in that moment it was fixed and it was done. And now when Sadie looks at you, you don't sense any difference. But I learned something about myself in that process. And that's why I tell you this story. And here's what I learned. I learned that I want for my kids and my grandkids a perfect world. I want my kids' lives to be perfect physically. I, I want my, my kids and my grandkids, I, I, want, I want their world to be perfect when it comes to, you know, socially. I want them to fit well and to make friends and to, to do good there. I, I want their lives to be perfect academically. I want to be able to say, smart girls. I, I want their world to be perfect when it comes to morality and spirituality. I want them to, to make good moral choices. I want them to love God deeply. I want them to to have a perfect world when it comes to, honestly, there was probably a season in their lives when I wanted it to happen for them athletically. That didn't work out so well. But I realized something greater than that about myself, and that I want it for everybody. 
And I began to notice in my own heart, there was this increased weariness every time somebody was diagnosed with cancer. My heart got heavier. Every time something awful happened in somebody's life. I just got tired of hearing about kids going astray. And life not working out for families. And frankly, bad things happening to good people. And I realized that what I long for is a better world. We all long for a better world. I don't think you should feel guilty because you long for a better world. I don't think I should be guilty because I long for a better world. As people who love Jesus... As people who seek God, we live with this awareness that there is a better world ahead of us. And so I'm just going to give you language right from the text, okay? Here's what it says, and I'm just going to say it as plainly and as simply as I know how to say it. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one, admitting that they were Foreigners and strangers on earth. It's like they were saying, you know what? I was made for another world. This world is not my home. It's like I'm just passing through. You know what I'm saying? It's like I was made for a better world than this. And I get tired of bad things happening to good people. And I get tired of people being diagnosed with bad diseases. And I get tired of seeing people die way too young. And I don't always love the world that I'm a part of. I have a longing for a better world. Anybody else? I've got a great, a great picture to show you. This is a, a man whose name is Grant Keaton. Grant is 95 years old. And I was in a restaurant the other day, and his grandson Dustin said, Hey, can I snap a picture of you guys? And so I text Dustin. I said, Can I have the picture? But I, I, I was with Grant, and he said to me, I, I'm, I'm making it kind of one day at a time the best that I can. What he was referring to was the fact that just a few months ago, his wife, who was 94, passed away. Okay, 94 years old. They've been married 73 years. That's awesome. Longer than a lot of people will live. And so I saw Grant a couple of days after Evelyn passed away, and here's what he says to me. Pastor Rick, I just don't know why God would let something like this happen to our family. <laughs> and, and I'll just be honest with you, I had to recalibrate. Because you, you kind of want to say, Grant, Evelyn was 94, you know. And so I'm thinking as I'm looking at him and he's feeling this heavy grief and I go, you know, Grant, I said, I'm tempted to, to kind of say, you know, you know, Evelyn lived so many years, 94 years old. That's a long life. And you guys had 73 years together. But what I'm realizing in this moment 
is that you can't imagine living one day on this earth without her. And in desperation, he says, Rick, I can't. I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, to me, it's just a perfect love story. And he went on to say, we had just kind of found a new ministry. <laughs> we moved into Southern Plaza, the retirement center. Evelyn was playing for the Sunday services. I was helping out. We felt like God was using us. So when I think about Grant and Evelyn, there's a phrase in this passage I read to you a moment ago that comes to my mind. And here's what it says. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. See, Evelyn Keaton, a few months ago before she left this world, she knew in her heart that this was not a perfect world. And she knew that people were sick in this world. And she knew that stuff like Taliban takeovers happen in countries like Afghanistan. And she knew that there's pain and she knew there is suffering. But when she died, she was still living by faith. And you know who else is still living by faith? Grant. He will live by faith until he dies. I look around and honestly, you look like a pretty young crowd to me. And you may not be thinking about dying. And you may not be thinking about heaven right now in your life. But when you think about the fact that this world has its share of heartaches and struggles, disappointments, heartbreaks, and you know there's another world after this one, don't you want the next world to be much better? You say, can, can you explain what happened? What, like, went wrong? Like, what, when did we go off the rails? Because if you read Genesis chapter 1, here's, here's what God declared. I mean, this is Genesis chapter 1. I'm not, I'm not saying this. It's what God said. God creates the world, and then God declared the world is good. I mean, this is God's opinion about the world. God says, okay, I made it. It's all made. And God says, and, and everything that I made right here, all of this, the world is, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. World's good. That's God. But then when you get to Genesis chapter 3, only two chapters later, there is rebellion against God and sin enters the world. And everything changes. And God says now the curse is upon mankind. And now death becomes a part of human existence with sickness and pain and suffering and all of death's preliminaries. This is now human existence. And you say, well, are we just stuck? Is there just no hope? Is this what we've got? Is this what we're left with? And God says, in all of His grace and love to us, I just can't stand to watch you in this condition. And so God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And Jesus shows up. And when you get to Luke, you got this passage in chapter 4 where Jesus goes to His hometown, Nazareth, and He goes to the synagogue because that's what Jesus did. He worshiped on weekends and they hand him a scroll, and Jesus reads from the scroll, and here's what he reads. He reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, 
and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's flavor, favor. rather. <laughs> so he says, if you're poor and if you're in prison and if you're blind and if you're oppressed, whoever has been abused by this broken world, I've come to make things right. And everything that was lost in Eden, I've come to restore. The kingdom of God has come to this earth and things will be set right. And every day of my life, I live as a citizen of this kingdom. And one day, all things will be made right. So, as you dig around in this section of Hebrews, you, you find this, this deal where they say, you know, I, I don't think I belong here. I don't think I fit here, really. Um, I, don't, I don't think this world is my home. I'm not getting too attached to this place. It actually says, admittedly, they saw themselves as foreigners and strangers. I don't think this is, this is home long term for me. I think I was made for a better world. So my Brittany, when she was little, I would get her in the car every morning, head her off to school. And until she learned to drive and until Morgan learned to drive, I had the blessing of always being able to take them to school. In Cincinnati, they had to be sitting in the seat in the classroom at 7 a.m. So I could take them to school and still get to work by 7.15. And so I always took my kids to school, always, until they learned to drive. And I remember the morning that Brittany says to me, before our ritual of me pulling up in the car line, leaning over, and her kissing me on the cheek, and me saying, I love you, Britt. Goodbye. Have a good day. I love you, Daddy. You have a good day, too. And out of the car, she would go. That morning, she said to me, Daddy, what if I kiss you tonight when I see you at home? And I said, tonight? And she said, is that okay, Daddy? And I said, oh, sure. I love you. I love you, Daddy. She jumps out of the car, and I cry all the way to work. But I got it. Friends coming down the sidewalk, a little bit of shame for friends to see her that intimate with her dad. But the passage today reminds us that we serve a God who says, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed of this little nomadic nation of Israel. I'm not ashamed to be called their God. In fact, I'm proud. God says to say, this is my team. This is who we put on the field on Sunday, right here. These are my people. God says, I'm not ashamed of you. And the Hebrew writer says, and guess what else he's done? He has built a city for you. The first time we read about it is in verse 10. And it's this idea whose builder and architect is God. It's like there's this ultimate dwelling. It, it's beyond the Old Testament language of the promised land. That's like a sign pointing to some ultimate place where one day all of God's people will gather to be together forevermore. You say, what do you do until we get there? 
And, and it's what they were taught. It was simply this. Remain faithful to God. Just, just walk with God. I know you're going through the tough times. Walk with God. I know somebody you love is really sick. Just walk with God. I know the world feels crazy right now, but just walk with God. I, I know life is hard. Well, just remain faithful to God. And one day, there will be a better world. And if there is life after this life, don't you want the world to be better and not worse? And so in, in the book of Revelation, God just lets John peek into heaven. And you say, John, what did you see? And he says, there is no mourning. There is no death. There is no crying. There's no pain. There's none of that stuff. It's heaven. It's paradise. It's a perfect world. And so what I want to do is take a moment and just ask you to raise up your armrest and you'll find elements today where we can celebrate the fact that Jesus is with us, that He's proud of you to be called your God, that He walks with you, and that He's prepared a better world for you that one day you will live in. And so if you'll just tear off the part where the bread is. And once you retrieve that, you can turn it over and you can gather the part where the drink is. And you can take the lid off it. And so I would say to you that if you're wondering who is welcome to share in this communion today with us, it's anyone who is sincerely seeking God with all of your heart because we believe it's a means of grace through which God might speak to you and love you and come near you. And extend His grace to you. And so one day Jesus is with His disciples. And He takes bread and He breaks it. And He says, this is my body. It's broken for you. Would you take it? And would you eat it? I'm giving you my whole life. And this is my blood. The blood of the new covenant poured out for a ransom for many. I did this so you can get to heaven one day. Would you drink it, every one of you? The fact that you love us enough to give us a better life, a quality of life, a relationship with you, God, it overwhelms us. But to think that you have prepared life for us after we leave this world where we can be with Jesus forever. It, I, I can't grasp it. It's beyond me. I can't imagine what it could be like. And to be with people who already passed away that we love so much, to be together again, in a place where there isn't any more death or dying or crying or pain or sickness or hate or envy or jealousy or wars. Wow. We're looking forward to that. And we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. And so as you remain in your seats for a moment, I pray that in these next few moments... Uh, God will speak 
to you as you open your heart to what he wants to say. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.